We are finally to Samson and Delilah. Woo! It took 16, you know, 15, we've been through 15 chapters. Now we're finally going to talk about maybe the most famous passage in all of Judges and maybe one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible, uh, Samson and Delilah. Now, if you've been reading Judges, we've talked about Samson the last two weeks, and Samson's an interesting character. Tell me something about Samson. <clears throat> what do you know about him? He's a weakness for women. <laughs> <coughs> That's a nice way to put it. Well, in the wrong yeah, weakness. Maybe I'll just say weaknesses. And then I'll say, <clears throat> I, I ch always change what people say, I'm sorry, if this is not what you're trying to say. Drawn to, what did you say? Like a wrong type of woman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, type of women. Okay, what else do you know about Samson? Nazarite. Nazarite, what does that mean, Nathan? Means that he can't cut his hair. Don't cut hair. Don't uh -huh. touch dead things. Don't touch dead bodies. Yep. Mm -hmm. and nothing from the vine. And these are, nothing from the vine, of course, kind of implies don't drink any kind of alcohol whatsoever. These are kind of the restrictions for being a Nazarite, but what is the point of being a Nazarite? And was Samson the only Nazarite? No, he's not the only Nazarite. Okay. You're set apart. Set apart for a special purpose. And so set apart for what? What, what do people who tend to be Nazarites spend a lot of their time doing? Evangelizing. Evangelizing, telling people about God. What else? Judging. Okay. In his case, judging. Like being a judge. Okay. <laughs> Knowing the scriptures. Knowing the scriptures. Okay. People understand what's right and wrong. There we go. And talking to who most of the time, we would hope? God. Yeah. Spending time in prayer, talking to God. So dedicating your, you know, if, if, if I were to say this is kind of a Jewish monk, it's kind of a Jewish monk in a way, someone who's dedicated their life to God. Now, in most cases, the Nazarite vow was temporary. It wasn't a lifelong thing, okay? It was, I'm going to spend a period of time kind of refocusing on God, I'm going to uh, pray and, and read the scriptures. And at the end of it, typically there was an end to it. And at the end of it, you would do the ceremonial washing. You would probably cut your hair because it got very long. Um, uh, and, so, and then you go on about your life. What's special about Samson's Nazarite vow? It was from birth. Nathan wants to say something. What, why are they called Nazarites? Mm -hmm. Nazar comes from the Hebrew mm -hmm. branch, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. They wouldn't have had the vine, the vine mm -hmm. and branch terminology that we use today, would they? No, I think, okay, I think what you're getting at with the branch is you are uh, like the branch of David or the branch of Jesse. Mm -hmm. You are kind of set at your root with the, you know, the genealogical or spiritual, you know, descendants of David or of, of Abraham and the patriarchs. So, yeah, uh, this is definitely, this is definitely means to be set apart and to be focused on God. What are some things that Samson has done? <laughs> okay, where did, where did this all start? Let's talk about where Samson started. With two godly parents. Two godly parents. Two, an angel came to the light. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a Yes. Why is that special? What, how did they find out they were going to be parents of this very special person? Angel. An angel of the Lord came and spoke to them. How often does that happen? How often does an angel come and announce the birth of someone in the Bible? Say it again. John the Baptist. Is this every birth in the Bible? This is pretty special. This is pretty special. So it's announced. How many other judges in here are announced by an angel announcing that this is going to happen? None. This is the only one. Um, except for Samuel, which I think is the only other one, but that's not in the book of Judges. That's in the book of Samuel. He's the final judge of Israel. So this is rare. This is kind of a big deal. Now let's talk about 
Samson the man. How much of an adherent is he to his Nazarite vows? It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like we never really read that he is a Nazarite. I mean, except for the, yeah. He doesn't seem to be the kind of pious, um, spiritual leader of his people. So he tends to just be this guy that keeps getting into trouble. Um, also contrast him. Now remember, Samson is also a judge, and this is what... Uh, <clears throat> what Ken was talking about. So he's a judge. Also means a leader. <clears throat> um, what is the typical kind of archetype for judges in, in the book of Judges? What do they tend to do? <clears throat> they get by God as yep. adults. Yep. And then they are there to fight some sort of fight. Yep. And when the fight is over, then... And who do they... Do they usually fight alone? Oh, yeah, they so, yeah. So these are typically military commanders of armies. How many armies has Samson led up to this point? Big fat donut, zero. How many people has he killed by this point? More than zero. Three thousand thirty-ish. This is a man who's who's kind of on his own. <coughs> He's kind of acting on his own. <coughs> you have to give the man points for creativity. Right? The judge gives a 10 for creativity. He kind of starts off kind of isolating himself yep. with his choice of wife. Yep. Well, I guess she wasn't his wife, but yep. that whole, the whole mm -hmm. thing was kind of a, mm -hmm. turned everybody against him. Oh, yeah. Yep. And who is Samson's chief enemy? Delilah. Okay, Delilah will be his chief enemy. What is Philistines. Philistines. So he is really, really fighting the Philistines. <clears throat> um, who are the Philistines? Sea people. Sea peoples. Oh. <laughs> I remembered. I didn't have to write it. Yeah, probably the Aegean, so probably some kind of Greek origin. They've brought a lot of their beliefs, their writing system with them, but it changes. These are the five cities of Philistia, and they were led by five kings. Remember, this is the era of city-states. So you would have a king kind of in charge of each one of his cities, and it would be his plot, and he would kind of control the outlying areas, but there was five of them, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and Gath. How often did the Israelites conquer the Philistines and take over their land? It happened, it was rare, <clears throat> These were hard people to beat. The Sea Peoples tended to have a technological superiority that kept them from being conquered. What was that? Iron. 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 Why is iron so important in this era? They could build chariots and stuff. Chariots? It cuts right through bronze. Cuts right through bronze. So bronze being the, the alternate here. This is the end of the Bronze Age, the age where man had learned to take copper and tin and make an alloy out of it into a stronger metal that was stronger than the two of those put together. It was called bronze. And virtually all metal objects at this period that were worth anything were made of bronze. There was, of course, other metals. You know, you could use copper and, and silver and gold and all those other things independently, but this was the, the metal of technology and warfare. Your helmets, your swords, your shields, um, chariots could be made of it, but it was a softer metal. It's all relative. Now, um, mankind has learned to use iron. They've learned to the technology to mine it, to melt it, to form it to alloys with what other element to make it steel? Carbon. Man has learned to harness the power, good morning, of iron, mix it with carbon, and make steel. So this is the Iron Age. Steel and iron are much stronger than bronze. And because of it, this weapon system is very hard for us, and of course with other reasons. With, you know, their military technology, um, their strategy, and so on and so forth, it's very hard to beat the Philistines. <clears throat> Why does Samson keep fighting the Philistines? Where does he live during this period? Next door. Right next door. He lives right next door to the Philistines. 
So, I mean, he is just mingling. He's interacting with them uh, constantly. And thus, it's creating a problem. Now, I asked you, who was Samson's greatest enemy? And it's kind of a trick question. Eh, you keep saying that, but, you know. You know, this is the philosophical answer. Who is your greatest enemy? Ken Hockmuth. He was, I don't mean you're everyone's greatest enemy. He was his own. There's a select few. Enemy. He was his own worst enemy. Um, look, Satan means the adversary. Uh, the devil means the accuser. The enemy, the serpent. They're all names for Satan, this being. Probably a fallen angel. One of the best and brightest in God's crew. Elite. Who turned on God. But you know what, folks? I'm going to just say right now, Satan gets a lot of the blame for stuff that isn't always necessarily his fault. I'm not making excuses for Satan. He is what he is, and he's used by God for a very important purpose to test us. But who do you wrestle with more than Satan himself? You wrestle with yourself. And we tend to cause most of the problems that we get ourselves into that when we need saving from. Samson is absolutely in that boat. We have a lot to read today, so I'm going to just jump right into it. We're going to read Samson, I'm sorry, Samson 16, Judges 16. We're going to read verses, and this is a big one, verses 1 to 31. Who would like to read that for me? Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw the prostitute. He went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all the night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how that you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in an ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then, Samson said, then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with, with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. <clears throat> so, while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. 
Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords, of, the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, in, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Nathan, I have listened to audiobooks. That was the most dramatic reading of a text. You have, I think you have a career, my friend, in doing this. That was amazing. You get the, we, we need the Academy Award for Bible reading in this room, I guess. I don't know. Nice job. And it was a long stretch, too. So and you got the words right. I was just going to, you know, write. I don't know. They sounded good. I don't know. Now, here's my many questions. First one is, do you think he would have seen this coming? I, I'm just, you know, given Samson's previous history, what is his previous history to suggest maybe he can't trust Certain people. Yeah. His right to vexed him. You know, like nagged him to death. Yes. About what? Tell you about what? The riddle. The riddle. But I think, like you know, he sounds so stupid in this passage, of course. But think about it. He already broke the other two parts of his Nazarite vow. Mm-hmm. And nothing happened. He still had his strength. Oh, this is really know. good. This is he really good. He followed God fully, and he still was fine. And so I think he thought, <clears throat> I can break all of them, and God's still with me. This is really, this is a big one. Mm-hmm. This is great. So here I'm going to say, now when you say he didn't cut, so in the previous passages, he has touched dead bodies. There was at least a lion, and of course he murdered men, <clears throat> many men. Nothing from the vine. Um, he went to a wedding party, and of course we would we would assume that he was drinking uh, from that. And he was in a vineyard at one time. And a vineyard, right? He was walk Not supposed to be near it. So very good, Heather. What does this say about us? How much do we try and get away with? As much as we can. As much as we can. I love this answer that Laura has here. <laughs> Not just because she's my wife. <laughs> I love this answer. Well, you know, it's like the it's like children. <clears throat> don't don't touch don't touch the fireplace. Don't do it. Okay. Okay, turn my back. Right. Exactly. And they and this is why. This is exactly why. Don't touch it. Okay, you come back the next day. Ah! Right? It's, it's on that day. How many times we do it as much as we can to get away with it? I totally love this answer. He's like, well, the last two things didn't matter, and I've been living all this time. And here's another question for you. Where did Samson's strength come from? Did it come from Samson? It didn't come from his hair either. He 
didn't, yes. he didn't even know it. He didn't know where it was coming from. This is it. This is it. part is what he said. He didn't know the Lord had loved him. This but is like, it. The Lord was with him, and he didn't even, he couldn't even feel the Lord's presence with him. I mean, was he lying to Delilah, or did he just, well, maybe try this? I don't know. Oh, God. Because it sounds to me like he didn't know. Self. I should have taken him aside and said, what do you think you're doing? <clears throat> Here's the thing, folks. This isn't Harry Potter. This isn't, I haven't drank my magic potion, and so, you know, the, the effect has worn off. And this is where people get, I think, the Bible wrong. The Bible is not full of magical objects and incantations and spells. What is the true power of the universe, and where does that come from? There's one answer. Where did Samson's power come from? It came from God. It came from God himself. And, and more specifically, what came upon Samson? Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, God's Spirit. So here, this is exactly right. He's like, well, these are things that are giving me power. My hair gives me power. My attitude gives me power. I'm, I'm responsible for everything. So he's like, first of all, when it does happen... He's like, oh, my hair, you cut my hair. And so, no, 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 that's, the other two happened. Why? If these things were all contributing to his strength, he would have lost his strength empirically. He would have lost his strength the first time he, but it didn't. So obviously these things were not the things giving him power. God gave him power. The spirit of God came upon him. And how sad, I totally agree with this. When it happens and he doesn't, he doesn't even understand it. Do you think that, I mean, we think of God's presence in our life because of the Holy Spirit as always residing in us. But it says in several of the passages that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson when he did his, you know, miraculous feats. Do you think maybe God wasn't always in Samson? He just came to Samson when, I mean, maybe that's why he didn't know that he wasn't going to come that time was because he wasn't always present. I mean, he was there always, but he wasn't in him always. So, you know, he would give Samson these these surges of, like, God power, but it wasn't always there, if that makes sense. Because it does say, you know, like when he killed the bear, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he killed the bear. And when he, when he went and killed, even when he was killing the people to get the garments, I mean, it was the same thing. It said the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he... So maybe he wasn't always in him, and that's why Samson couldn't tell that it wasn't going to happen because it wasn't, it hadn't failed yet. This is a whole another rabbit hole. Here we hole. go. <laughs> oh, falling forever. But um. I mean, it does say that. I think Samson's life is a good example of how God uses people mm -hmm. for his purposes. Yes. Regardless of who. Right. So Samson wasn't really a follower of God, quite honest. I mean, no. Really, but. Because he's very selfish. All his actions are <coughs> revenge. He ties the, the you know, the, selfish. the tails of the foxes as revenge for something yes. that he thought was wrong to him. Yes. When he attacks the Philistines, it's kind of like, it was all just, God kind of pointed him towards who he wanted Samson to attack, and then Samson just took it from there for all of it, and it's all selfish. Mm -hmm. Even at the very end of his life, you know, and it's like God came upon him when when it, when it seems selfish, it suited God's purposes, then God is like, mm -hmm. okay, like, so God wanted to kill all these Philistines mm -hmm. who are worshiping mm -hmm. God, and so God's like, okay, I'll, but it seems selfish in that moment, because he's like, let me die, because they gouged out my eyes, mm -hmm. not because, yep. you know, I yep. want to honor God in yep. any way, it's all, mm -hmm. seems so focused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say that the, it'd be hard for, for us to read the writer had written, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he went to Gaza and saw a harlot there. And, mm -hmm. Right? That doesn't really drive mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. um, New Testament tells me don't squelch the Holy Spirit. Ah. So I believe that God was with him always, mm -hmm. but he was like, I mean, that's, that's my life. Mm -hmm. I know God's with me always. Yep. Doesn't mean I'm always doing it just as he mm -hmm. asked me to do. Mm -hmm. or Thanks. <coughs> the Bible says when you think you're strong in a certain area of the country, then you can fall. Yep. I learned that big time at the hotel. I'll sing, I'll sing his praises when mm -hmm. this stuff happens, but I'm not. This is it. He was with me when I got to the eye a couple years ago. You know? mm -hmm. 
not, I'm not telling that story. Right. What does this all come back to? I think that God is a vending machine. I think God is a blank check for me. The Holy Spirit's a blank check for me. I can do whatever I want whenever I want. Jeremy wants to say something. I don't know if I'm rightly dividing the word because in the Old Testament, he generally came upon people. I can't think of a time that he indwelled people. I may be wrong. This was the black hole I was avoiding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the New Testament, he indwells because we've been redeemed. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Can we leave it at that yep. <laughs> for now? Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think too. Um, there's an element to which understanding that it was a, it was a covenant between God and Samson, and not like a contract. Like these are the these are the clauses that Samson must obey, and once he's violated clause one C, he's out. But understanding that like the cutting of his hair represented a full and final disidentification with God. You know, he had these things that set him apart for God, that identified him as belonging to God. And he's finally like, well, you know, I don't need hair. I really like this, and I'm going to make this very provocative statement. God is not a lawyer. But he is. (laughs) He is. He is and he isn't. Here's the thing, and I think this is where modern Christians get it wrong, myself included. Every little thing I do in my life, I expect retribution from God. How often does God punish me when I do something I shouldn't? Is it 100%? Now, you could argue, maybe I don't know that I'm being punished, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say observationally, I take the Lord's name in vain. I lie. I wish someone were dead. Do, Do I instantly lose my house or get sick and die of cancer? No, no. I say God is not a lawyer from the sense that, like what Nathan is saying, there's not this really long list in opposition to what a first century Jewish person might think, that he's going through and as soon as I X, I've I've missed something, it's time for imprisonment. It's time for punishment, what have you. I think, again, God is a strategic thinker. God is strategic here, and he, and, he, and he does let us get away with a lot because he's merciful and gracious. But at some point, judgment does come. Now, I want to also get back to what Ken, he, he made a very quick comment here about the writer of Judges. I want to get back to that because that's a big part of actually why we're reading about Samson and the way we're reading him today. Remember, the, the, the three things I say you should look at when you're reading the Bible is who wrote it, who did they write it to, and why were they writing it? Now, these all three might seem very obvious to you at first blush. Well, the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew, and it was written to people to become Christian. And he was, you know, writing it to Jews and Gentiles. Okay, this is a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. Who was the author of Judges? We don't know his name, or probably his name, but why... Who do we think wrote it? What what part of what community were they? Okay, in what region of the world? <laughs> yeah, so an Israelite, a Jew, wrote the book of Judges, probably during the monarchy. So here's our timeline, 2000 BC, 1000 BC, the time of the monarchy of David, Saul, David, and Solomon. Judges is right before this. Probably not written then because it's a record of the entire period of the judges, so at least in the final form. Someone edited it after all of this. What is the case they're trying to make? The kings are better than judges? Yes! Kings are better than judges because what happens when there's no king? People turn astray. It's chaos. They turn astray. And what kind of leaders do you have if they're not kings? They ain't great. Very, very faulty. Maybe Deborah alone is the only judge in which we don't really read anything of negativity about her. Um, And of course others um, can be mentioned very briefly and you don't really know anything good or bad about them. But for the most part, the book of Judges is about the, the failings of men and a woman who led Israel, who are not kings, and there was chaos. There was chaos. Is there... 
Why do you think Samson occupies the biggest part of the entire book of Judges? Most what is... Story. <laughs> well, I'll give you that. The most <laughs> chaos, too. I mean, okay. he, two women betrayed mm-hmm. him. I mean, it showed that his weakness as a human and as a man. Mm-hmm. An example of what not to do. Yeah. Here's your checklist. All the things you should be doing. Mm-hmm. It also showed that God did come through the end. And that is the point that God can use you no matter how weak you are. You can, you can fulfill God's purpose for your life no matter what, no matter how weak. How many of us are perfect? How many of us are Jesus? <laughs> Zero. Right? Interesting over here in Hebrews 11, hmm? where the writer of Hebrews is talking about all these you know, the great cloud of witnesses. Yeah. By faith, they did this, and he says that. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to to flight. These, you know, Samson's listed there as one who, in his weakness, was made strong, mm-hmm. who recognized at some point, even if it was his last breath, mm-hmm. that God was responsible for everything good that he did. It's nice we have the author of Hebrews to kind of tie that up because it's true. And the author of Judges doesn't, you know, they want you to know that it's not their, the most important thing. The author of Hebrews wants you to know this was all planned. Mm-hmm. This was all meant to be. As chaotic as it seems it was all part of God's plan to begin with okay I still think that the biggest lesson from all of this is what we said a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that none of us's decisions or bad choices are bigger than God's plan yeah I mean as much as Samson sinned and as many bad choices as he mm-hmm. made God always his plan was what happened mm-hmm. excellent we screw up God is still there mm-hmm. and <clears throat> comes through. And That's why I like what Ken said. God is, and if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, yes, you have the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit dwelling within you. It's always there. It doesn't leave you. That's biblical. But whether or not you can then push pillars down and, you know, uh, <clears throat> lift the car off of something, right? That's, that's a different thing. What God empowers you to do is, is a separate but he's always with you. And I think this gets at, you know, the foot, my mom used to have the, the saying, the footprints on the sand, when, when I thought that I was alone, it was God carrying me. That's true. Mm-hmm. And we, can, we, can live, we can live today without shame of yep. those. I may read this a lot differently or hear a lot of this, because I've lived a little bit of a tumultuous, up and down lifestyle. And, I can stand today without shame of all the poor choices I've made because he never changed his mind about me. Nice. Isn't it great to have a creator that loves you unconditionally? Eyes gouged out, hair gone, Mm -hmm. you know, still, okay. Is that a Spider-Man shirt, by the way? It looks like the radioactive so, spider. Some other spiders. Okay. Awesome. I'm sorry. It distracted. I was like, web slinger. Okay. Yeah. Ah! Let's, uh, let's go on. So we're kind of uh, we're finishing up Judges here. We're going to do a couple more chapters today. What time is it, by the way? Let's read Judges 17. It's a short one, 1 through 13. Who would like to do that for me? Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim, said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were, ta- that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord, for my son to make an image overlay the silver. I will give it back to you. So after he, after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith, who used them to make the idol and it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. 
A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since this Levite has become my priest. Now, thank you. Now, you might be reading this, and you might have been reading the book of Judges, and going along, and going along, and going along, and now we've had this really big, almost kind of, um, you know, how do I say this? Like the end of a movie. You've had the big final fight. What did you say? Thank you. I can't think of the Climax. This climax seems to have ended with Samson. But now all of a sudden we've got this, what? We take this really drastic turn about a guy we probably most of us have never heard of before, about this really weird event with house idols, and you're thinking to yourself, what, did, what, what just happened? What just happened? Now remember I asked you who wrote this, and when they wrote it, and why did they write it? Author of Judges is trying to make the case that without a king, there is chaos. Literally said. Exactly. Thank you. Now, we have just... If you want to look at Samson as being the climax of that argument, and even that statement as being the climax of argument, we've just made the argument that, this author, without a king there is chaos, so we need a king. However, however, there is two, at least two messages the author of Judges is trying to make here. And what you have just read are the seeds for what is going to be a really big deal after the United Monarchy. So I'm going to write, where's my green marker here? What, is, what does the United Monarchy mean? Israel and Judah were united. Yes. So we have, what am I doing here? Blue. Chicken with my head cut off. We have later what will be called the Kingdom of Israel. Okay? I don't want to confuse you. Twelve tribes of Israel who, during the period of the United Monarchy, had one king over all twelve tribes. <coughs> It was, it was confusing because all 12 tribes were called Israel. Judah is one of the 12 tribes. Okay. Saul is the first king of a united monarchy. Then David, different house, becomes king. He becomes the anointed king of Israel. And then his son Solomon rules during the time of the greatest peace and prosperity of that kingdom. What happens after Solomon? Yes. So much, and he rejects their advice, and mm-hmm. so the all the all of the tribes except for Judah and Benjamin say, yes. "See you later. We're going to do our own thing." In just a few years' time, there will be this huge split. Okay, literally. I mean, physically. The United Kingdom, the United Monarchy, will become two two kingdoms. One of the north, which is ten tribes that will take the name Israel, and two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that will be called, they lumped together as the tribe of Judah. Sir? What happens to Simeon, since they lived in the southern part of Judah? Simeon, they lived in the southern part of Judah. Are you, the tribe? Yeah. Oh, I think it's better to not consider, it's, we're going to talk about that. Can we pause that for just a minute? The tribes are not as defined as a state today as you might expect Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, and that kind of thing. They, they refer to the people. Okay, so pause that for just a minute. Okay, this is a big one. Now, yes, there was a pretext for why the kingdom split after the time of Solomon, but the point is that there was a lot of problems going on in the northern ten tribes that precipitated this, and one of them was what? Where the, was everyone in the northern kingdom following God, Yahweh, Jehovah, and using the book of the law that we have today and worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem? No. No. Yeah, exactly. I'm leaving you there. What was their problem? Idols. Idols. 
we are starting to see here the beginnings of the apostasy, I'm going to call it apostasy, of <coughs> pagan worship that will completely integrate itself within the Canaanite Israelite culture. So okay? Like TV and internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Of course. Lexus, right? This is the point, folks. The author of Judges, probably living during the United Monarchy, I'm going to guess also living maybe towards the end of that monarchy, is starting to see the beginnings of the rift that's going to happen. You might look at Judges 17 and go, this is a small chapter, and I don't know what it means. This is the root. Folks, this is the beginning of what is going to end up causing a huge rift in the people of Israel. You know, civil war, think of it that way, brother versus brother, house versus house. The author of Judges is also making what comment here? What else is, aside from a king is good, what else is this person saying? Idols are a distraction. Yes. <clears throat> there is so much pagan apostasy in the DNA of the people of Israel that is going to result in some catastrophic problems later on. When I say there's a divided monarchy, it, sounds, it kind of sounds like maybe it's not so bad. Okay, all of you people are called Israel and all of us are called, you know, tribe of Judah. Oh, it wasn't as nice as that. There was constant war. We had hundreds of years of war. Just imagine the United States Civil War lasting for 500 years. I mean, it lasted for just a handful, four years. War, aggression, poverty, it caused great poverty. And, and why? The author of Judges is trying to say here, look folks, the root of that split that's going to happen here around, I don't know, around 900 BC was already being laid. The seeds were being laid hundreds of years earlier with this guy Micah. Not only that, but like this Levite who is supposed mm -hmm. to be like the priest yes. in the temple, mm -hmm. he comes along. First of all, he's like, yeah, I've had enough of my people. I'm going to go live somewhere else. Yeah. And then this guy, this guy Micah is like, hey, you're a Levite. So yep. you can be a priest, but come be a priest of my God that I created. Yes. How many high priests were there supposed to be in Israel? Uno. I don't know what one is in Hebrew. One high priest. And it's, it's showing the, yeah, it's showing. And he's, like, there's no morality, right? I mean, he Boy. stole the silver from his mom. The first yep. Place. And his mom's, like, upset. Oh, yeah, I know what it's stolen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Going. I thought that was kind of weird. Like, all of a sudden, how he's being praised for, instead of, you stole it, you're bad. You told me you stole it, so you're good. What is this saying? It's saying, the people doing this see no problem with it. They don't see any problem with it at all. What is the author saying? Well, I think it's interesting that he says, you know, the pieces of silver that were taken about which you uttered a curse... Ah. There's not really an implication that the curse didn't count. Mm. That even though it's all working out okay, I think it was either last week or the week yep. before we talked about sometimes God lets our rash vows and mm. our, he lets us get our mm. way. Yep, yep, yep. Rash vows. The may <coughs> not be punished. <coughs> Yeah, there we go, right? <laughs> yes, it's infuriating. It's kind of like capturing a genie. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong. The biggest problem you have, and this, this is the modern day parallel. The biggest problem you will face as a Christian or otherwise is you think you're okay. If you ever go to bed at night and think you're doing everything right, how many of you think you're actually right about that? None. It's all good. I'm doing everything right. I didn't sin today. I'm a good guy, you know, or gal. Soon as you start saying that and you're not questioning constantly, am I doing the right thing? Does this fit with what God says? All they had to do was pick up their law, their Pentateuch, and read what just happened there was wrong in every way. So what does this also suggest to you is not happening during this period? 
accountability? Well, no accountability. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. So, no accountability, not listening to truth. But not being no one's teaching the truth. No one. Yes. Isn't that similar to how the churches nowadays, a lot of them have picked up a lot of pagan rituals and are teaching, you know, all love and, and forgiveness. And like the truth is, has escaped. If there's parts of the Bible they don't like, they just don't teach them. And I think it's very similar. I mean, the Bible says nothing new under the sun. And I mean, we just keep repeating the same things over and over. That we're always there. In two weeks, we will start talking about. Look, I'm doing it again. We'll go to about 60 to 80. 80. We're going to talk about the book of John, the Gospel of John. Guess what? What you just said, Lori, has been happening for 2,000 years. In fact, it got so bad in the first century with people who had met Christ started to twist the word of God enough that John, we think, decided he was going to write his gospel to counter that. There's a reason the gospel of John is not like the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's completely different. And one of the big reasons why John wrote his gospel was to counter the lies that were going on in his church at the time, primarily around Gnosticism, which is this belief that... Ah, okay, we'll get into it. Uh, it, was, it was a very divisive lie that was going on in the church. This has been happening for, for thousands of years. People start, lies start to work their way in, right? By the time of the divided monarchy, we have two temples, we have two high priests, and we have different scriptures being written. And that's my other kind of comment here. No one reading the scriptures. They're just doing whatever they want, or they're ignoring them. Okay, what time do we have? Good. Any other final comment? I don't want to rush through this, but any... And, and just to make the comment, household gods were extremely common in this period of, of pagan worship. You go into anyone's house in the Near East, you'll find household gods. And obviously it was happening in Israel, too. Okay. Kind of interesting that he went from the... So he got this... So Micah got this money, and he made it... Made it into an idol. Mm-hmm. And that became the idol, and then this man came in, he yep. became the idol. Yes. So <clears throat> it's like a step kind of in the right direction, maybe-ish, but not really. Mm-hmm. Well, like originally he made his son the priest, but then oh, along came a real priest, so then he was like, oh, well, he made him in it. Right. <laughs> I think you could so argue. I'm sure the yeah. son Yeah. I think that <laughs> this is the other thing. The biggest problems we see in divisions in churches in any organization is that lies are mixed with truth. And some of it sounds right. And some of it is right, but some of it isn't. Um, I think you're seeing this here. They, they have the elements of what is true and right and what God wants them to do. But it's very easy to then throw in a lie here and there, right? That is much harder to detect than coming right out and saying something completely different. If I were to come out and say, Jesus is not the Messiah, it was this guy, Bob, he lived 20 years, right? Um, and, and actually the Holy Scriptures are this book that has nothing to do with that book. How easy is it to spot that? <laughs> you know, it stands right out, right? And of course he'd get followers, which is the really sad thing. Um, it's easier to take truth and twist it. And I think that's what's happening here. It's easier to say that you know, Jesus is your, needs to be your Lord and Savior, and once you trust him completely and pray in his name, you will receive blessing. Mm-hmm. Or if you will pass mm-hmm. the right kind of laws, mm-hmm. this nation will be God's nation. Oh, this is really good. You can say stuff that sounds good, right? Even on the surface, oh, maybe it sounds good to people, right? And maybe I want to believe that's true. Sounding right doesn't necessarily make it right. Okay. It's easy to, to not as bad. Well, I think go. Satan started this. I mean, it's always been his way. Yeah. I mean, even in the Garden of Eden. Will you really die if you eat this? Yeah. I mean, he always just took the truth and mm-hmm. twisted it enough. Right. Kind of like the kid touching the fireplace. You know, mm-hmm. see, you didn't die. Exactly. <laughs> and then, exactly. And so then, you You're know, they're caught. Go, go. Ah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's read <clears throat> chapter 18 because it's a nice segue. 1 through 
31. Who would like to read that for me? At that time, Israel did not have a king. And at that time, the tribe of Dan was still looking for a land where they could live, a land of their own. The Danites had not yet been given their own land among the tribes of Israel. So from their family groups, they chose five soldiers from the cities of Zorah and Eshtal to spy out and explore the land. They were told, go explore the land. So they came to the mountains of Ephraim, to Micah's house, where they spent the night. When they came near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they stopped there and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing here? Why are you here? <laughs> he told them what Micah had done for him, saying, He hired me, and I am his priest. They said to him, Please ask God if our journey will be successful. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The Lord is pleased with your journey. So the five men left, and when they came to the city of Laish, they saw that the people there lived in safety like the people of Sidon. They thought that they were safe and had plenty of everything. They lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone else. When the five men returned to Zorah and Eshtal, their relatives asked them, What did you find? And they answered, We have seen the land and it is very good. We should attack them. Aren't you going to do something? Don't wait. Let's go and take that land. When you go, you will see there is plenty of land, plentiful, of, plenty of everything. The people are not expecting an attack. Surely God has handed that land over to us. So 600 Danites left Zorah and Eshtal ready for war. On their way, they set up camp near the city of kirath Jerium in Judah. That is why the place west of kirath Jerium is named Menadan to this day. From there, they traveled on to the mountains of Ephraim. Then they came to Micah's house. The five men who had explored the land around Leish said to their relatives, do you know in one of these houses there's a holy vest, household gods, an idol, and a statue? You know what to do. So they stopped at the Levite's house, which was also Micah's house, and greeted the Levite. The 600 Danites stood at the entrance gate, wearing their weapons of war. The five spies went into the house and took the idol, the holy vest, the household idols, and the statue. And the priest and the 600 men armed for war stood by the entrance gate. When the spies went into Micah's house and took the image, the holy vest, the household idols, the statue, the priest asked them, What are you doing? They answered, Be quiet. Don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. It is, is it better for you to be a priest for one man's house or for a tribe in the family group in Israel? This made the priest happy. So he took the holy vest, the household idols, and the idol and went with the Danites. They left Micah's house, putting their children, their animals, and everything they owned in front of them. When they had gone a little way from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called out and caught up with them. The men with Micah shouted at the Danites, who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you? Why have you been called out to fight? Micah answered, You took my gods and I'm, and, that I made and my priest. What do I have left? How can you ask me what's the matter? The Danites answered, You should not argue with us. Some of our angry men might attack you, killing you and your family. Then the Danites went on their way, and Micah knew they were too strong for him, so he turned and went back home. Then the Danites took what Micah had made and his priest and went on to Leish. They attacked those peaceful people and killed them with their swords and then burned the city. There was no one to save the people of Leish. They lived too far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone else. Leish was in a valley near Beth Rehob. The people of Dan rebuilt the city and lived there. They changed the name of Leish to Dan, naming it for their ancestor Dan, one of the sons of Israel. And the people of Dan set up the idols in the city of Dan. Jonathan, son of Gershom, Moses' son, and his son served as priests for the tribe of Dan until the land was captured. The people of Dan set up the idols Micah had made as long as the holy tent of God was in Shiloh. The seeds of the division of the kingdom have been laid. If you remember forward, you go forward a few years, the divided kingdom, we have the kingdom of Israel here, Jeroboam establishes idols, have nothing to do with Yahweh, in two cities where people can come and worship. What are those cities? I kind of underlined them. Bethel. One is Bethel, so the people in the south can find a place to go and worship. It's a cow, a bull. They come and worship a bull, which is goodness. Didn't they read Exodus? And the other is Dan at the very north. The seeds of that apostasy have been laid hundreds of years earlier. In fact, the northern kingdom will establish their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which is right next to the city of Samaria. And that's why we call this region Samaria, or Samarit you know, the Samaritans are from Samaria, in the time of Jesus. And they are hated by the Jews. Why? Because they have established their own system of worship that is completely pagan. 
completely contrary to what God wants. I think that's kind of the takeaway here. Thoughts? In those days, the tribe of Dan, the people of Dan, was seeking for itself an inheritance as well. For, their, for until then, no inheritance to the, among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Mm-hmm. But we know that they received their portion during the division yep. under Joshua. And so here's the problem. Yeah, the problem was they were scattered, smashed right in here with the Philistines. And it worked out okay for a while until the Philistines became just awful. And, and this is my interpretation of it. They had to find a new place. They're, they're right in the middle of Philistine territory and probably constant warfare. So as you can see here, it's, they kind of started in this little area here, this narrow strip. They had to find a new place. So they, they went all the way up here, which was at that time more peaceful. Right. This is what God's. Oh, okay. And then they run in, and the next thing you know, they they set up their own idols. Yep. That just wasn't necessarily written chronologically. So this could have happened towards the beginning, right? Um, it does. It does. It, it, it that happened earlier. Yeah. This is not chronological. But it doesn't matter. I think what you're saying is still true. You start by trying to see. I know you're saying that. You're trying to seek God, but then it, it goes wrong. Um, as soon as he, yeah. as soon as he like, delivers them, then they're like, okay, we got it. We're good. We're good. Now We're good. Thanks. We'll take it from here. We'll take it from here. That's exactly it. One thing I just think is kind of funny. It says that they go around and they name their places after their father, Dan. Huh? I think they still do that today, or they meet more more recently in the past than this, because they got like the Danish, the Danube, you know, all these places in Europe that are mm-hmm. probably the descendants of Dan because they left their name all over the place. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll have to look into that one more. Um, I do want to say two things, the archaeology piece. What proof do we have that any of this was true? First is the idea of these temples. Why would you build a temple in which two pillars were keeping the whole thing up? Is it real? There's this of course, this Arabic name, Tel Kassil, in which a temple has been found um, in this region, which corresponds to what is thought to be a temple of Dagon. Now, I don't know if they know that this is actually a temple to Dagon, but it is designed in a way that would fit exactly the narrative here. It was found destroyed during the period of the judges. It was this narrow, twice as long as it is wide temple with two stone <coughs> bases in the middle in which two pillars would have sat upon and not attached. These would have been wood or stone pillars that would have just been set on these pedestals and then the roof set on it. So it, scholar looks at this and goes, it would have been possible for someone or something to twist that pillar right off of its base and the whole thing would have collapsed. So this is real, folks. Now, whether this is the temple that they're talking about in the, in the Old Testament, I don't know. But it, it kind of it gives light to this. The second thing is the city gates. Um, real quick, why do you build city gates? Keep, keep people out or keep people in, depending on what you want to do. Um, you would have walls, two posts in stone. You would have these these uh, posts set down into the ground that then these heavy boards would be um, attached to that could swing open or closed and then a you know just like in the movies there would be this board that would go between and to lock them at night it had to be wide enough for a chariot to pass through how wide is that how much I love how you have exact answers to these kinds of things fascinating okay huh Point being, they're not small. They're not like this, right? There is evidence in a Philistine city of these very, these very pedestals. This is, I think, Ashkelon. If you want to just pass this around real quick. This is the actual post of a city gate for a Philistine um, in, in the period of the judges. 
These, these doors would have made hundreds of pounds. What did Samson do when he wanted to escape in the night? They lifted the thing right off. He didn't have to bash through it. He just lifted these things right out of the ground and carried them off with him. I couldn't do that. Okay. Uh, join us next week. We'll wrap up Judges. And thank you for being here.